From high atop Rocky Road in Moab, Utah, it's KZMU News. I'm Molly Marcello. It's Friday, March 24th. Over the past few months, listeners will have noticed a new voice in the newscast. We are thrilled to say it's the voice of Emily Arnson, KZMU's new reporter. Emily comes to the station by way of Massachusetts and brings with her experience in journalism and writing. Today, we speak with Emily to get some insight into her keen ear and curiosity, both essential tools for her position. Your reporting background. I know that you have a freelance writing background. Mm -hmm. I know that you have a podcast background. Yeah. Um, After I graduated college, I produced a science and research podcast for a university in Boston. Um, And I did that for three years. And then I moved to Moab and worked as a freelance writer for about two years. And now I'm at KZMU. What was it like to move to this area in the pandemic? Honestly, really great. I was living in Boston and lockdown was really strict there. Mm -hmm. And coming here, there's so much outdoor space and time and it's baked into the lifestyle here. And so I didn't have to be inside. So what got you into reporting or writing? I think I have a lot of interests and I like to learn things and I love talking to people and I love when people tell me stories. And so the interview process is one of my Mm -hmm. favorite elements of this work. And I think I was really drawn to that. And I studied journalism in school and then got a job working in audio after I graduated. And I really like audio because I think it's really accessible. I also really like writing. Yeah, I think I'm just curious about people and people like to tell me their stories. And so I think it's a good give and take. And it's like a puzzle. I like putting information together and making it coherent. You said that you like audio because it's accessible. And that is something that has drawn me to this medium as well. Do you mind expanding on on that? Like the accessibility of audio? Yeah, I think audio is really different from print in the sense that It's not that we dumb down the stories, Mm -hmm. but they have to be easy to understand really quickly and Mm -hmm. in the first try because you can't go back Mm -hmm. usually. And so I think that just creates an effortless mode of communication. It's something you can do when you're driving, when you're cooking, when you're a busy Mm -hmm. person. Um, You don't need to have 20 minutes to read an article in the morning. That's Mm -hmm. a luxury that a lot of people don't have. And, you know, that is an art that is our task to figure out is how do we communicate this message in a way that is like telling a story to one person. It's conversational, but it's also um, the information that we absolutely need to put into the story. As far as things that you like to report on, um, I feel like I can answer this question for you, (laughs) but please do it. Okay. (laughs) It kind of runs the gamut. Uh Uh, I have a background in science journalism and I still, I really like reporting on science. I like reporting on wildlife. Um, I like doing stories I'm particularly interested in the mining history here and how it leads out into today. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I like to report on wildlife. I like to report on uranium mining, the history and how it sort of also is playing out today. I like to write about art and artists in this area. Uh, I think also because I'm not from this place, there are a lot of things that happen here that fascinate me um, Mm. and maybe are commonplace to people who grew up here, but I love writing about just the culture of this rural part of Utah. There are a lot of cultural quirks here that I really love and I think have ties in 
and some kind of history that is really interesting to me. And you have been, you know, as soon as you started reporting here, um, you have been bringing those stories forward. It's all subjects and um, topics and stories that we love here at KZMU. So we're really excited. Yeah, and I'm excited to have the freedom to report on a bunch of different things. That's KZMU's new reporter, Emily Arnson. You can catch her stories right here in the newscast. Last month, the Utah Shakespeare Festival visited a high school in Cortez in southwest Colorado to both perform and lead workshops for students. It's part of their mission to perform in rural areas. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, Chris Clements of KSJD has more. Until she comes. As truly as to heaven, I do confess the vices of my blood. That's Darren Frank Earl II, an actor in the festival. He's performing as Othello in the play by Shakespeare. Her father loved me, oft invited me, still questioned me the story of my life from year to year, the battles, sieges, fortunes that I had passed. The festival, which is part of Southern Utah University and is sponsored by the National Endowment for the Arts, began its Othello tour in late January. Its actors visit high schools across Utah and Colorado to show students the value in studying and performing Shakespearean texts. The visit to Montezuma Cortez High School began with a series of acting workshops with theater students on subjects like improvisation and fight choreography. Here's one on how to perform Shakespeare's plays themselves. This is our friend Desdemona. This is Othello. They are fighting because Othello thinks that Desdemona is sleeping around with his lieutenant. Desdemona's confused because um, that didn't happen at all. <laughs> None of that happened at all. So uh, everyone here is confused. It's a classic miscommunication play. Let me thy handkerchief. Here, my lord. That which I gave you. I have it not about me. That is a Rachel Jones, an actor who plays Desdemona, says it's critical for rural communities like Cortez to have the same access to fine arts as big cities like Denver and Phoenix. Us coming into schools talking about uh, why Shakespeare is important, why it's still performed, having that talk back with the kids, that is valuable education. And we believe that at the Utah Shakespeare Festival, we believe that each kid, no matter where they are, deserves the same good education as the well-served communities do, or the cities do. Earl, who plays Othello, says he feels that there's a special significance to performing this particular play for audiences in isolated communities. I absolutely see the merit in talking about the othering in Othello, and how like groups of people can sometimes ostracize somebody for appearance, or their deeds, or their behavior, or their upbringing. I was really glad I got to take the Shakespearean text workshop because I honestly don't know very much about Shakespeare. And I felt like as soon as I did do the workshop, it made a lot more sense in my head. That's Mason White, a sophomore theater student at Montezuma Cortez. She and Abby Coffey, another sophomore, agree that there aren't enough opportunities for those who live in Cortez to experience performances like Othello. Um, I think that it is important for people to be able to see things like this because it like gives people more of an idea about different like cultures and like what life was like back when Shakespeare was around. After the performance, the actors come back out on stage to talk and laugh with the audience. One student in the front row raises her hand and asks Shay Jowers, an actor who's a member of the LGBTQ plus community, how they deal with being a queer actor. It can be hard at times, but uh, something I like to remind myself day in and day out whenever it gets hard, um, is that there is a place 
for us in theater. Um, we are telling the stories of people, and there are people like us that exist, and their stories need to be told. Um, so there is a place for us in theater. Uh, there's a place for us in the world. Um, I am not the only queer person <laughs> in theater. I am not the only queer person in this cast. Um, but there, we're here. There's a place for us. And if you have to For KSJD, I'm Chris Clements. That story was shared with us via Rocky Mountain Community Radio, a network of public media stations in Colorado, Wyoming, Utah, and New Mexico, including KZMU. The Grand County Commission was in session this week. So, what happened at the what meeting? Happened at the what meeting? happened at the meeting? What happened at the meeting? Whatever happened, what at, happened the at the meeting? What uh, exactly happened at the meeting? Maggie McGuire, editor of the Moab Sun News, answers. Elected officials talked through some extensive check-ins with each other after not meeting for a month. Business voted on included approving the purchase of a UTV for Grand County's motorized trail ambassador to use when connecting to visitors on trails. At the meeting, they also created a new position for Grand County engineer and funded a full-time healthy trails coordinator with the Southeast Utah Health Department. The coordinator, Mariah Ward, is responsible for working to educate travelers about how to properly dispose of human waste in the backcountry. When reached for comment, she said she's never met anyone with a job quite like hers. And that's what happened at this week's Grand County Commission meeting. Find recaps of local government meetings at moabsunnews.com. You can also watch meetings online on the Grand County, Utah, and Moab City YouTube pages. And now the weekly newsreel, where we check in with reporters on their latest stories of the Moab area. Southeastern Utah broke a new snow record on Monday. Some local officials are worried about what that could mean for flooding this spring. The city plans to implement a new flood warning system. Plus, the county is working to build storm drainage near problem areas such as Arroyo Crossing. Doug McMurdo of the Times Independent speaks with Emily Arnson about potential spring floods and more. For the 37 years that the state has been keeping a snow water equivalent records, we had the highest record ever. We broke that Monday in southeast Utah. Wow, and what was that record? Uh, 23.6 inches. And um, what that means, it's really wet snow. Anyway, that story kind of dovetails really well with the stories that we have on uh, A1, and those stories deal with what is our government doing about flooding. Um, And I interviewed Chuck Williams, the city of Moab engineer, and uh, he's got a lot of plans. Uh, He's he's pushing for a flood warning system, which would entail a series of gauges that provide real-time data to uh, people who would, you know, the decision makers when, when we have a storm system coming in. And and that's going to um, give them the ability to to make good decisions. You know, where where to send resources, uh, in other words, and then warn the public and all of those things that that they need. Uh, another thing that they're doing is they are uh, he wants a study of Mill Creek to uh, look for things such as uh, places to cut vegetation, places to uh, harden the bank, repairs, any other kind of refortification that you can do or fortification. That's the other one. And the third is easements. Uh, Private property owners own the creek um, in front of their house or behind their house, however that works. They've been very good about giving the the city permission uh, to access it since August floods because um, they need the repairs done. But Chuck Williams believes that the city should either have a right-of-way or an easement. And if they they grant the easement, that 
they don't have to ask for permission. I mean, sometimes you just have to get on site and do what you can to shore something up, and you don't have time, so you're trespassing, and and that's a problem. Mm-hmm. And uh, if he, the way he explained it, if if you give the, the right away, that means you uh, you sell that land to the city, and that whatever that share is goes off your tax roll. If you grant an easement, you still have ownership. They can they can access the property when needed but you would still be responsible for those taxes. So um, whatever floats your boat as a property owner, I guess. And then do you want to talk to us about what the county is doing? The county did take action. Um, Some homes that are downstream from the Arroyo Crossing Affordable Housing Project on um, Spanish Valley Drive. Water is flowing off a corner of of that property, that acreage. And it's deviated from its previous drainage, and it's now impacting homes that are downstream. So it's a pretty cool fix that Chris Baird, uh, the strategic development director, suggested. There's a plan underway to build a multi-use path on Spanish Valley Drive. It's about 30% formed, so now they're going to incorporate the stormwaters project into that project. And um, the work should begin pretty soon. Okay, great. Do you want to move on to um, some of these stories about the flights? Yeah. Airport news. SkyWest, as you know, uh, they wanted to change the way they provide service by going to smaller planes. And the airport board and then uh, recommended that Grand County accept the uh, the changes. And Grand County, again, reluctantly did because the alternative would be we don't have any air service, but the FAA rejected SkyWest, so we're back to the drawing table, and they need to come back with a new contract. Okay. Finally, I, I think, uh, and when we can close with um, the high school is uh, changing from the current trimester system to a quarterly system, four quarters. The same amount of days will be spent in school. It'll just be quarters, and this is something that they believe will help with a really dismal graduation rate. Graduation rate is like 74%. Uh, Todd Thompson, Dr. Todd Thompson, the principal at the high school, he says that studies have shown that trimester systems are are not beneficial to students. And did he say what it was about the four-quarter system that is better than the trimester system? Fewer classes, so four classes rather than six. Uh, The same hours a day in school, 90-minute classes instead of 60-minute classes, so teachers will be able to spend more time on subjects, and they could uh, deep dive into subjects and and get more done. Cool. Was was there anything else you wanted to mention that I didn't ask you about? Um, I would just suggest that uh, if you're 60 or older and you haven't been to the senior center uh, since COVID broke out, you need to go back because they have a lot of cool stuff to do. Such as? Such as Tai Chi and Chagong, and they're taking a road trip to um, Mount Rushmore in August, and um, they play cards, and they have lots of puzzles, and they have a a social night with live music uh, the next to last Thursday of the month. Fun. And so where can people get more information about that? The uh, the information is in there, the website and the phone number. They can talk to uh, Yordi at the Senior Center, and uh, she'll get them hooked up. Great. Thanks, Doug. You bet. Doug McMurdo, editor of The Times Independent. Subscription info and more stories can be found at moabtimes.com. Sections of Indian Creek are currently closed to climbers. Golden eagles are in their nesting season, and the Bureau of Land Management is working with climbers to protect Utah's official state bird of prey. Allison Hartford at the Moab Sun News speaks with Emily Arnson. 
about their coverage. Climbers will know that 11 walls in Indian Creek have been closed due to um, raptor nesting. You went down and talked to some people about it. What's going on? Raptors have been coming to the Indian Creek area for hundreds of years because these birds will return to previous nesting sites and often they'll return to the exact nest that they've used before. And so the birds down there are, we have golden eagles, which are actually the Utah state bird of prey. So the BLM is kind of trying to teach climbers about how to be better stewards. And in the spring, that means that Climbers are educated about these raptor avoidance areas because if people climb underneath a nest or near a nest, there's a possibility that the adult birds may abandon their nest and they're young. And then there's a possibility that they don't return at all to the area because they get so spooked. Are climbers angry about this? I didn't talk to any climbers, but Melissa Wardle, who is the Monticello wildlife biologist said that every year she gets a comment along the lines of, well, Indian Creek is so large, like if the birds are disturbed, can't they go somewhere else? But she kind of flips that question on its head. The birds have been coming here for so long and Indian Creek has so many climbing routes, can't climbers just go somewhere else? And so it's really this question of like, how do you portray that importance to people who are only coming here to visit and don't live here? And then also, how do you educate them in a way that they can bring what they learn in Indian Creek about stewardship and bring it to other climbing crags? Are the nests obvious? Like if a climber's out there, would they know what the nest looks like just by guessing? Yeah, they are both obvious and not super obvious. So you can see whitewash, which is basically the bird's poop going down the wall. But they're also pretty small in comparison to the total wall. But there is a little bit of danger for climbers also if they do find themselves climbing underneath the nest because once the birds have chicks, then they'll start getting a lot more territorial. So if somebody does manage to get near a nest, then they'll probably be dive-bombed by the birds. Not fun? Yeah, (laughs) not great. (laughs) Do you want to talk about Green River Rocks now? Green River Rocks is this festival that started in 2017 when Epicenter, that's a local nonprofit based in Green River, received this grant from the National Endowment for the Arts to create an event that would bring economic stimulus to the town. And this year, the festival will run from Friday, March 31st to Sunday, April 2nd. Cool. And what are some of the events that people can attend? The festival really centers around this idea of free field trips. So people will meet at the Festival HQ, which is at the John Wesley Powell River History Museum, where they can sign up for these trips and go out to places like Fossil Point and paleontology sites along Highway 191, visits to rock art, and all of these field trips are guided by experts. So it's this really cool way to explore what the local region has to offer with rocks and history um, and be able to do that with somebody who knows everything about it. Was there anything else you wanted to mention about that? I don't think so. Okay. We got a lot of snow this year. Some people are worried about flooding. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, so Maggie talked to Cora Phillips, who is the new Grand County Emergency Management Director, and she has this message for Moab, which is that she wants people to prepare for flooding now. She really stressed that people should maybe look into flood insurance, and then she also said that DIY sandbags are offered free of charge at the Moab City Public Works Yard. And she also wanted to point people toward the local emergency alert system offered at grandcountyalerts.org. 
Okay. How does that alert system work? Like, do you have to be logged in or something to get the alerts? Yeah. So you just sign up. Um, you can sign up with an email or a phone number, and then the alerts will be automatic. Allison Harford, reporter with the Moab Sun News. Subscription info and more stories can be found at moabsunnews.com. That's it for the weekly newsreel, where we check in with reporters on their latest stories of the Moab area. Find the pieces that were mentioned today in the show notes at our website, kzmu.org, or wherever you listen to the KZMU News podcast. As always, thanks for tuning in and supporting KZMU, community-powered radio.